0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Please be seated. Shout for joy to God, all the earth, Alleluia. A blessed Jubilate Sunday to all of you. Jubilate means rejoice, and we have the greatest of all reasons to rejoice. Because of our Lord's death on the cross, we have no more sins. They are all forgiven. And God does not count our sins against us. Do you believe that? He really doesn't count our sins against us. Rejoice! And because of our Lord's glorious resurrection, we need not be afraid. We need not be afraid of sickness or tragedy, disease or death, bad government, persecution, or anything that the future might hold, we need not be afraid. For Jesus is risen, and he bestows eternal life upon us even now. So again I say, rejoice. The more that this world becomes gloomy and dark and depressing, the more we must hold Jesus before our eyes. And with Jesus before our eyes, we cannot help but rejoice. Today, our meditation, our rejoicing, centers on the dignity that Jesus has bestowed on humanity. In fact, that's the title of this homily, The Dignity of Humanity. But we might ask, what dignity has Jesus bestowed upon us? We hear this loud and clear in the letter of St. John. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What does it mean to be the children of God? I want to take you all the way back to Genesis, to mankind before the fall, where man and woman were said to be made in the image of God. In his lectures, On Genesis, Luther says, the image of God, according to which Adam was created, was something far more distinguished and excellent. No leprosy of sin adhered either to his reason or to his will. His intellect was the clearest, his memory was the best, and his will was the most straightforward. I am fully convinced, says Luther, that before Adam's sin, his eyes were so sharp and clear they surpassed those of the lynx and eagle. He was stronger than the lions and the bears, and he handled them the way that we handle little puppies. In Adam, there was enlightened reason, true knowledge of God, and a most sincere desire to love God and neighbor. He also had perfect knowledge of the nature of the animals, the herbs, the fruits, the trees, and the remaining creatures. Who could adequately describe this glory in words? I believe that Adam could command a lion with a single word, just as we give a command to a trained dog. And Luther continues just a bit more. I hold that before sin... The sun was brighter, the water purer, the trees more fruitful, and the fields more fertile. But through sin and the awful fall, not only our flesh is disfigured by the leprosy of sin, but everything we use in this life has become corrupt. Thus far Luther. But why did I hear a couple of snickers? Why do we think his words about seeing better than eagles and being stronger than bears sound so far-fetched? It strikes us as almost comical to think of man with such glory, with such dignity, in full dominion over the earth, treating lions the way my daughter would, like kittens, bears like puppies, at least if she could. But I think the real reason for our doubt is that the religion and narrative of our times tells us the exact opposite. The pagan religion of our times tells of how man was once weak and is now becoming stronger. Man was once an amoeba, then an ape. And now we have smartphones. Eventually, Time Magazine reports, we will overcome death itself. Everything is evolving and getting better, we are told. But as Luther and the church fathers see it, everything has been devolving for the worse. Man is growing more wicked and more feeble in mind and body. Creation is growing threadbare and wearing out like a garment. The glory of man and his dignity, the glory of creation, continues to diminish, even to the point in which today it sounds like the glory and dignity of man as described by Luther. It's a fairy tale that Adam was vastly superior in intellect to us, and superior to the animals in strength. The dominant pagan religion of our time tells that man is nothing but an animal. That man has no inherent dignity. Western progressivism teaches that man is simply a clump of cells in the womb to be killed and aborted at whim. And if you are born, you're just one more beast one more Homo sapien with a carbon footprint, one more contributor to global warming. We are taught that to be human is to be a parasite upon the earth. We are taught that to have light skin is to be a racist and oppressor. We are taught that to be born male and female has no meaning or dignity in itself but can be overcome by hormone therapy or genital mutilation and the dominant pagan religion of our time, there is no dignity ascribed to the human being. But this is, in fact, nothing new. The form may be somewhat different, but the essence is the same. Pagan people have always taught that there is no dignity to being human. It was the same way in the days of St. John the Evangelist, and the early Christian Church. His epistles are occasioned by a gigantic split in the Church over this very issue. Neoplatonism and Gnosticism taught that matter, that physical material, is flawed, even evil. To have a human body, to be a human being, was to be flawed and to be evil. Only by escaping the body could one become pure and good. And by the way, we see remnants of this thinking in the church even today, all these years later. When Christians think that when you die, you become an angel. Or when they think that the entire point of dying is to be free from the body forever. Not only are these completely pagan ideas... They are contrary to the resurrection, contrary to the very heart of Christianity. They demonstrate also the idea that there is no dignity in being human, and our humanity is something that we must transcend in order to have dignity. The ancient idea that physical matter is bad, that human bodies are bad, that being a human is bad, has no room in it for the fact that God became man, that in Jesus the fullness of the Godhead dwelt bodily. This would be entirely below the dignity of God in the view of the heretics of John's time. Thus some in John's time began to teach that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that his incarnation was just an illusion And thus also his suffering on the cross was an illusion. And his resurrection was just an illusion. His being human at all was an illusion. The pagans in John's day and the pagans in our day see no dignity and no value in being human. They both believe that to be human is to be beastly. The ancients wanted to transcend the beastliness and become something more. And of course, we see a hint of this in our own culture with transhumanism and the use of technology to help us transcend our humanity. But by and large, what we see today is pagans who want to embrace the beastliness. Humans who are happy to live only for their pleasures and thus happy to be subhuman. But the root is the same, hatred of humanity, hatred of being human. And that also means, on a very deep level, hatred of oneself and hatred of one's neighbors, which is why, in part, St. John spends so much time talking about love, the love of God shown in the incarnation. Jesus was not ashamed to become man, but in purest love and without any loss of dignity, became as we are, yet without sin. In purest love, he gave his back to the scourges, his face to the spit, his head to the thorns, his body to the cross. He truly suffered as a man for man to make perfect atonement for man's sins purest love. He cleanses us from all our sins and draws us to himself. He pardons, forgives, and promises us not only eternal life, but that we will, in fact, become true man in the sense that he is true man. And we too will be raised in our bodies. The image of God, of which Luther spoke, will be restored to us. And we will be as God intended us to be. In purest love, Jesus rises, but not just spiritually, not just in his soul. Jesus rises bodily, showing us that the body is good. That our bodies will one day be raised and thus be freed from all corruption, all suffering, all ugliness, all weakness, all disability, all dysfunction and we shall be as Jesus himself is. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called animals, beasts, Republicans, Democrats, political activists, consumers, cosmic trash here today and thrown away tomorrow. No, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it does not know Him. And just maybe Luther is correct that the glory and dignity. And dominion given by God to man, though it seems a fairy tale at times, is in fact absolutely true. Perhaps what we glimpse in Moses dividing the sea, in Samson defeating the lion, in Elijah raising the dead, in Joshua commanding the very sun to be still, Perhaps what we see is not so much miraculous, but rather man exactly as God intends him to be. Beloved, we are God's children now, John writes, and what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in Jesus purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. So rejoice, my friends, for God loves you more than you know. Believe this. Share it with one another. Teach it to your children, because the world is telling us the opposite, God loves you more than you know. Hold Jesus before your eyes. Hope in Jesus. Rejoice in Jesus. In Him you are pure. And know this, the dignity of humanity is greater than we can conceive. The incarnation shows it. The cross shows it. The resurrection shows it. The Son of God has become man that we men might become the children of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.